All right, I'm going to read um, the passage that Pastor Ken will be preaching on this morning. So that is John 13, verses 1 through 17, and that is on page 751 of the Church Bibles. So John 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him and what and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you, sir. Good morning. Pray with me, will you? Father, we take your word in our hands and, and we are grateful that we can hold it and read it for ourselves. I pray that we would be receptive to what you would say to us through your word today. I pray that your spirit would apply your word to our hearts, that we might be able to live it out as we go from here to be your agents, your representatives, where you have sent us. And so, Use this word of yours uh, to equip us for what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been part of a foot washing? Ever done that? I remember doing one of those when I was on a high school retreat. And uh, it was an interesting experience. Uh, what I found was that I would much rather be the one doing the foot washing than having my feet washed. You know, have you been in that situation? It's, 
it's a weird thing letting somebody else handle your feet. You know, a little self-conscious about the whole thing. And, and we'd rather be in the position where we're more in control. And I think that that really applies to the sort of foot washing we might do today. It's, it's more or less a ceremonial sort of thing. Um, it's almost an honor to be the person washing somebody else's feet. It is sort of embarrassing to have your own feet being washed by somebody else. But in Jesus' day, it was no honor to wash feet. Uh, that was the task of a household servant. Uh, that was a, a thankless task. It was a menial task. It was a humbling task. You might even say it was a humiliating task to have to wash somebody's feet. Went on a mission trip to Kenya a number of years ago. I had the privilege of teaching a number of uh, African pastors. And they came from a number of different settings. It was a very diverse group, a lot of different denominations represented. And so I wanted to, uh, to speak about how we are all serving the same Lord who served us. And so I led them in a foot washing. I was surprised when several of them would not participate. Some didn't want somebody else washing their feet. But it became apparent as well that for some, this task of foot washing was beneath them. We're going to look at a time when Jesus washed feet. Sarah read it for us from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it now. Uh, and the Bridge Bible again, page 751. We come here to one of the greatest lessons Jesus ever gave his disciples. Picture the scene. You are standing in this upper room. You're the first one there. You're just sort of standing in a corner, and you kind of take in the room, and you can see that there is a low table there with food on it. There are cushions around that low table where the participants in that Passover meal will recline to eat at the table. Nearer to the door, you notice there is a pitcher of water and a basin and a towel. In our culture, uh, we often ask people to remove their muddy shoes when they come into our home, and you can just leave them in the entryway. Uh, in that culture, uh, they would wash feet. Uh, the host would provide a servant who would wash the dusty feet of the guests who came because they were out wearing sandals on unpaved roads all day. So there from your vantage point in the corner, you see this scene, and soon you hear the footsteps of the first disciple coming up the steps to this upper room. And you see him walk in the room, and he sort of sizes things up and sees the table and the food and the cushions. And, and then uh, he looks a little closer to himself, and he sees this pitcher of water and a basin and a towel, and he kind of looks around the room no servant here to wash my feet. Huh. Maybe I should wash my own feet. Nah. Nah. There's, there's a servant coming. He'll, 
He'll be along shortly. He takes his seat at the table. You hear the footsteps of the next one coming up to the upper room. And he steps in and looks around, sees the same thing, sees his friend at the table, kind of gives him a nod, sees this pitcher and a basin and a towel, and he looks at his friend, and he looks around, and says, no servant. Maybe I should offer to wash feet. Nah, nah, there, there's going to be someone along, takes his seat at the table, and one by one, they all come in, look around, and take their seat. Imagine Jesus coming in last, maybe wanting to see if any of them would have done what he hoped they would do. Instead, he sees 12 men with dusty feet sitting around this table where he is going to join them and eat this meal he's been thinking about for a long time. This one last meal that he will have with them before he goes to the cross to lay down his life for them. Look at his face. What do you see on his face? I see sadness. I see disappointment. Three years, they have traveled with him. For three years, he has poured his life into them, and they just don't get it. He takes his place at the table. Will one of them at least get up and offer to wash his feet? Nobody moves. So Jesus gets up, takes off his outer garment, ties a towel around his waist, and does the thing that none of them was willing to do. It's the ultimate lesson in servanthood. How could he do that? How could he wash the dusty feet of these 12 men? What was it that allowed him to take up the servant's towel and wash the feet of these 12 who wouldn't even wash his? And how can we benefit from his example? I see five lessons in servanthood that Jesus gives us here. And for each one, I'm going to offer a little assignment for the willing. So you'll have at the end of this five assignments either to do or to choose from. But the question is, how could Jesus do this? How could he wash their feet? Five lessons. First lesson, he could serve them because he loved them. He could serve them because he loved them. Verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Another translation says he showed them the full extent of his love. This word end is the Greek word telos. We get telescope out of that word. It's the instrument that allows you to see to the end of the universe, telos. It's, it's the fullness of something, the ultimate extent of something. Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. Love leads to servanthood. 
You can tell how much a person really cares by what that person's willing to do. When we love deeply, we serve sacrificially. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my wife, my kids, my grandkids. I would lay down my life for them. Why? Because they're my family. They're, they're my wife, my kids, my grandkids, and I love them. But I can turn on the TV and I can watch the news and I can see images of a bombed out apartment building in Ukraine. And I can switch off the TV set and sleep at night. How can I sleep at night when that's going on? They're on the other side of the world. I don't know them. You can bet it's a different experience for the Belikov family. They know these people. You can't just shut off the TV and sleep through the night. It's, it's troubling. Why? Because they love them. And when you love someone, you will do things that others would consider sacrificial. Love leads to servanthood. Been on a number of mission trips in my lifetime. Many of you have been on mission trips as well. One of the real benefits of a mission trip is that you get to know people who were strangers to you before that trip. They get into your life, they get into your heart, and when you leave them, you find yourself leaving a chunk of your heart behind. I remember my first mission trip to the Dominican Republic. We had been supporting a, a medical clinic there. We'd gotten to know the founder of the clinic. He actually married a doctor from our congregation who joined him there. And so we went over to see what we could do, how we could help out, and we really didn't help all that much. You know, we, we painted some walls. What, what can you do with unskilled people like me? But they showed us a room full of state-of-the-art medical equipment donated by doctors in the U.S. who who were upgrading their own, and so they gave them the, the equipment they were replacing. It was the best on the island. And what I found very quickly was they didn't have electricity to turn it on. So we left a chunk of our heart there, and we came back and raised the funds that would be needed to do the electrical hookup so they could use this equipment. Why? It's because we had come to love them. And when you love someone, you will serve that person. It is sometimes inconvenient to love and to serve. But if you really love someone, what's a little inconvenience, right? Think back to a time when you were feeling strong feelings of love. I can think back to my courting days. Drive a couple of hours to see my, my dearie. No problem. Um... You know, create the ideal evening together. Yeah, lots of imagination goes in. Poetry, yeah, I can do poetry. Letters, all kinds of stuff when you've got these intense feelings of love. You do it for love's sake. But here is an important distinction between that and the kind of love Jesus is talking about here. That is love that is rooted in our feelings. This is love that is rooted in our will. It's not devoid of feelings, 
but it's not based on or dependent on feelings either. So good news, you can love somebody you don't particularly like. That's really good news. This is agape love. I define agape love as desiring God's best for someone and then applying yourself to bring that about. It's desiring God's best for the person and then applying yourself to bring that best about. So our first assignment for the willing is this. Look up the word love in a concordance. You might have one in the back of your Bible. Otherwise, uh, there are websites and apps like YouVersion, Y-O-U, Version Bible, where you can just do a word search. Every time you find that word love commanded of us as believers, it is the same word as agape. You can't command feelings, but you can command actions. And so Jesus tells us to love like that. So the first assignment is look that word up in your concordance and see what the Bible says about what you will do if you really love someone. You may be surprised. Lesson number two, he could serve them because he didn't need to be repaid. Look at verse two. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Where's Judas? He's at the table with the others. Drop down then to verse 10. You are clean, Jesus said, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Where's Judas? He's at the table. Jesus is about to wash his feet. How could he do that? Because he didn't need to be repaid. Does it blow anybody's mind here that Jesus washed Judas's feet, knowing what Judas was about to do? Could you take care of the needs of someone who you know is going to turn on you? Jesus knew well that Judas was about to betray him, and yet he still washed Judas's feet. It's easy to get involved in an exchange of favors, but that's not servanthood. Servanthood doesn't need or expect to be paid back. One of the greatest passages we like to cite at the commissioning of a missionary or the installation of a pastor is that, that great section in Isaiah that we looked at briefly last week, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is called to his ministry. And we, we love to end it at verse 8, where Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. It's a wonderful sending passage. It's too bad we don't look at verse 9. Because God tells him, Okay, here's what you're in for. They're not going to listen. They won't listen or follow the things that you're saying. And Isaiah says, how long then do you want me to do this? And God says, till the land lies desolate, till there's nobody left in it. In other words, you're going, 
but you won't see any fruit from your ministry. You won't see any results here in this life. If you need a payback, servanthood isn't for you. The way could be very, very hard, like Isaiah's. No earthly reward. But serving God is worth it. The great missionary David Livingston spent his life serving in Africa. People would inquire about what he was doing and whether they might be able to join him in that. And somebody wrote and said, tell me, are the roads good there? He wrote back this, if you have men who will only come if they know that there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. The way may be hard. There may be no reward that you see. Jesus could wash the disciples' feet because he didn't need to be repaid. So the second assignment for the willing is this. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. Read it through a few times and see what Jesus says about people who need to be repaid here and now. And ask yourself, why does he say that? By the way, these assignments for the willing are printed on the backside of your sermon notes in your program. So uh, they're there for you when you go home. Lesson number three, Jesus could serve them because his identity was settled. His identity was settled. Look at verse three. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus could serve them like that because his identity was settled. I can't tell you how important this point is. Verse 3, Jesus knew some things. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God. He knew he was returning to God. Verse 4, so he got up. You see the causal link there? He knew, so he got up, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed their feet. Our insecurities often get in the way of our servanthood. Why is it easier for a corporate president to serve brats at a corporate picnic than it is for somebody from the assembly line? It's because he's a celebrity. Everybody knows who he is. It's an honor to be served by the president. And he knows who he is. And the guy from the assembly line is a nobody. Nobody. And when you feel like a nobody, serving is really hard. What's more, it's one thing to be called a servant. It's another thing to be treated as one. The real test of our servanthood comes when someone starts treating us like a servant. Hey, uh, give me another brat, another one that's, that's more well done. 
A lot of people will draw a line right there and say, that's enough. I'm done with this. We can thank God that Jesus didn't draw that line when he was treated as a servant. He knew who he was. All things were under his power. He knew he had come from God. He knew he was returning to God. And in the strength of that knowledge, he took up the servant's towel. My dad liked to uh, tell a story. My dad uh, was a a 30-year Army veteran, three wars. Uh, He liked to tell a story that came out of the Korean War about a, a, a soldier on guard duty, middle of the night, bored out of his head and uh, desperately wanting a cigarette and, uh, and yet he didn't have a match. And so uh, he saw another soldier coming by and he goes, hey, Mac, you got a light? And uh, the guy said, sure. And he pulled out his lighter and, and he lit the soldier's cigarette and in the flicker of that flame, the soldier saw two stars on the guy's helmet. He realized The guy lighting his cigarette is the division commander. And he dropped the cigarette and snapped to attention and said, I'm so sorry, sir, I didn't know who you were. And the general said, it's okay, son. Just be glad I wasn't some second lieutenant. The person who has settled the issue of their identity is free to serve And so the third assignment for the willing is this. What does the Bible say about your real identity? Who are you? Read Ephesians chapter 1. Make a list of the things it says are true about you in Christ. You'll want to pull that list out when you feel discouraged, when you feel like a nobody. Lesson number four, Jesus could serve them because he had decided nothing would stop him. Look at verses 6 through 9. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You can kind of picture him putting his hand up, you know, not going to let you do that. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, You have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter's stumbling into another thing here, isn't he? Jesus gets to Peter. Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet, are you? And Jesus says, I am. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. it, It is amazing to see this in the Greek. He uses two words for no, and he puts them together. It's like, no way, uh uh, never. And then he says, into eternity. (laughs) You know, we might say, never in a thousand years am I going to let you do that. This is far more than that. This is no way, never into eternity. See, the problem is somewhere along the line, you're going to run into somebody who doesn't want to be served. What will you do then? Some people are just not willing to be served, and nothing tests our determination to serve more than an unwilling servee. Let me share a word with any unwilling servees out there among us. Let somebody serve you. It's important to their ability to serve to have someone who is willing to accept their service. So get over whatever it is that's making you want to resist 
whether it's your pride, whether it's a feeling of shame, whether it's a desire to be in control, whatever it is, and just let somebody serve you. They need your cooperation. And now a word to the servers out here who are finding resistance. Keep at it. Keep at it. Don't lose heart when somebody resists your efforts to serve them. Sometimes they're just testing to see if you're serious. If you're dealing with a Minnesotan, you know they have to decline three times before they accept. It's a part of Minnesota nice. It requires three refusals before an acceptance. And you need to tell them, look, in order for me to serve the way the Lord wants me to, I'm going to need a little cooperation from you. Let me serve you. You'll have a chance to do the serving another time. It's my turn now. Peter resisted. Jesus didn't let that stop him. Fourth assignment for the willing, then, identify five obstacles that keep you from serving. Maybe it's discourteous people. Maybe it's distance. Maybe it's what others might think. Maybe it's body odor. I don't know. Whatever it is, make a list of five things that keep you from serving. And that way, when those things pop up, you will be ready for them. And you won't let them stop you. Lesson number five, Jesus could serve them because he knew that a mindset of servanthood needed an avenue of expression. Look at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. You understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus asks them in verse 12, have you figured this out yet? Have you figured out what I'm doing here, what I've just done for you? And he explains, I, I set you an example. That's what I was doing. I was setting an example. And it's an example I want you to follow. Take up the servant's towel, follow in the role of the humble servant. What he had done for them wasn't just to expand their knowledge. It wasn't just for head knowledge. It was for implementation. And verse 17 suggests there's a difference between knowing and doing. He says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The idea of servanthood needs to be not only in your head, but it needs to drop down 14 inches to your heart. We talked about that last week. But it also needs to find expression in your hands. And when it does, Jesus says, you'll finally understand what servanthood is all about. If you do these things, he says, you'll be blessed if you do them. That word blessed is the same word he uses throughout the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. It literally means to be congratulated. If you put this lesson into practice, congratulations, you get it. You get it, because it's not just to expand your knowledge is to see you do something with it. 
So the fifth assignment for the willing is this, at least once a day, ask somebody, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? You'll surprise people. You may start a revolution. This is a gifted church. God has gifted the bridge in some wonderful ways. And it's exciting to discover what gifts he has given here. But in order for it to work, in order for any of those gifts to work, we have to have a bottom line commitment to servanthood. It won't work without one. You can have all the gifted people in the world, but without a servant's heart, what you get is the Corinthian church, the most gifted church in the New Testament and the least mature. Now, I don't want to pit the gifts of the Spirit against the fruit of the Spirit, but I'll tell you what. I would take a church full of people who evidence the fruit of the Spirit over a church full of people with all of the gifts and none of the fruit any day. And it is so encouraging to see people serve out of a servant's heart. You see them operating behind the scenes. You see them not getting any recognition, often doing thankless jobs, doing those things out of their love for Christ. It's inspiring. It inspires others to do the same. But you also see people who are a little bit more like the disciples, just kind of waiting for somebody else to step up. It's discouraging. And more important, it breaks the heart of the Lord who would gladly have given his all to take up the towel and kneel to wash their feet. I know he'd have done it because he did more. He didn't just take up the towel, he took up a cross. He didn't just wash feet, he laid down his life. And he asks us to take up the towel as well and to lay aside any privilege and wash each other's feet. Are you willing to do it? Time for a little gut check. Jesus could do it because he loved. How much do you love the people God has called you to serve? It's easy to say it, harder to show it through acts of servanthood. Jesus could do it because he didn't need to be paid back. Are you willing only when it's an exchange of favors? How do you treat the people who could never pay you back? Jesus could do it because he knew who he was and where he had come from and where he was going. Have you settled the issue of your identity? Do you know who you are in Christ? When your identity is out there flapping in the breeze, you will not do well at this thing called servanthood. Jesus could do it because he wasn't going to let anybody's objections stand in his way. How quickly do you give up when somebody politely says no? Maybe... What they're really saying is, I feel I have to say no, but I sure hope you insist. And Jesus could do it because he knew it wasn't enough to have a lesson on servanthood filed away in his mind. How about you? You have just heard one. You now have a choice. You can file it away, or you can actually do something with it. Take up the towel and serve like the Lord Jesus did. These assignments for the willing are printed in your program. What if all of us were to do all of those this week?
Imagine it. What if all of us were to do all of those this week? I think God would do some amazing things in our lives if we started practicing serving like Jesus served. Pray with me, will you? Father, thank you for this lesson on servanthood that, that John tells us about as he shares the example that Jesus gave to the twelve. Now, Father, I just pray that you would impress upon us those reasons why Jesus could do that and motivate us to do that ourselves so that we can give the glory to you as we serve like Jesus served. In his name, amen.